All right. Good morning, Cross Point. How's everybody doing? So I'm Jim, and uh, Pastor Bruce, who is up here most Sundays, is uh, in Missouri preaching at a missions conference that he gets invited to about every year. Now, let me get something out of the way because I know it's already bothering you. My shirt's unbuttoned, or button funny. You see that? <laughs> it's an object lesson. It's coming up in the sermon. Some of you, like my wife says, button your shirt. I'm not going to be able to sit in service. I'd probably be similar if it was Pastor Bruce. I'd be like running up on stage, hey, bro, fix your shirt, you know. And, um, but you're just going to have to deal with it. I hope it uh, doesn't distract you too much. But it actually fits. It's really important. And you will remember it, I believe, for a while. And we're going through this book of James, which, uh, you know, the Old Testament has a, a book of wisdom, actually a few books of wisdom, but the most predominant one would be the book of Proverbs, whereas the New Testament, the book of wisdom, is James. It's just loaded with practical advice. So I've given this passage, and I was telling the guys this morning, I got about four sermons. I'm trying to deliver only one, maybe one and a half, out of the four I could have picked out of here. It's an awesome passage, and I'm really excited to be uh, helping you with it. Now, the background for James would be, you know, not much unlike our world. James was leading uh, followers of Jesus Christ in a world where the government was kind of in turmoil. The people underneath the leadership and the, 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 that government uh, were not excited about it. There was an undercurrent of rebellion. This had actually been going on since uh, even when Jesus was on the earth. And there was a lot of religious confusion, um, a little bit more now that Christianity is on the scene. And um, much about life was unpredictable and probably scary. And it's new and it's different, and James steps in and offers this instruction that we will look at today. And before we get into it, I just want to ask you guys some questions or explain kind of what we're doing here this morning by way of asking some questions. And that is this. What's your morning routine? How many, raise your hand, how many would say, I have a morning routine? Raise your hand. Like you just... Right, You practice certain things, you do them pretty much every day, and they become part of who you are. Right, So like mine is basically, you know, I wake up before I get out of bed, I'm doing my devotions, and then I get ready for the day. Some days I shower at night, sometimes I shower in the morning. Let's say it's I shower in the morning. I shower, um, you know, throw on some deodorant, that's necessary, brush my teeth, and start my day uh, with a small little breakfast. How many of you are godly like me and brush your teeth before breakfast? Isn't that weird? It's so weird because I remember being a kid, my aunt and uncle did that, and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. It just made your orange juice taste real funny. Um, <laughs> right? So, um, so, you know, you, you get up and you, you, you put yourself together, you know, you, you shave, you fix your hair. I haven't been doing that for about 25 or so years. I've never put on makeup. Well, that's not true. One time. But you put on your makeup if you're a lady. And then you get dressed and you look at yourself in the mirror, right? And you make sure everything's right. And then you go on and you start your day. And um, this is your practice. These are your habits. And your habits become your lifestyle. You could write a little manual because you're convinced your routine is best, right? You could write a manual on how to get ready for the day. Have this morning routine. And, you could, and it's part of you. It's part of who you are. And in a similar way, James is coming to this crowd that he's talking to and these uh, 
other people beyond who he speaks with that wrote this down to share with others, and he's coming to us to show us the importance of having a lifestyle that is reflective of a follower of Jesus Christ. And so there's all this practical stuff, and I want to read this whole passage, but just focus in on kind of the main thing that has stuck out to Christians for centuries now. Um, And I I know it's the part that you care the most about, about and pay the most attention to. We're starting in verse 19 where it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. So he's talking to Christian people. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I got a great quote that can go with that from Dallas Willard. In the book to the Divine Conspiracy, he said that anything done in anger can be done better without it. There are some people online and in the news that need to memorize that quote. Anything done in anger can be done better without it. That's what James is saying here. And then he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so the part that... We, that just our eyes are drawn to, our hearts and minds are drawn to, begins there in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And see, God wants us to be so much more than hearers of the word of God. We live in a world where you can, you can stream into your life from the outside world 24 hours a day, seven days a week, awesome biblical content from any number of people who are putting themselves out, out there on the platform of electronics. You can hear from them. But what James is telling us to do is to do so much more than hear. He wants us to be doers. He wants us to practice our faith. He wants us to have the habits of a faith that reflects somebody who's really following Jesus Christ. He wants us to have a lifestyle of hearing and doing God's word. The word practice in the dictionary says this. It's the actual application of an idea, belief, or method. You practice your morning routine. You're applying what you believe. You're applying what you believe to be a, a, a better way or the more preferable method of getting ready. A habit, also from the dictionary, is a settled, regular tendency or practice. And God wants you to practice the habit of hearing God's word and doing it. And what James has set forth to do is tell us how. 
is to help us understand how can we hear and do God's word? How can we assign to our lives, how can we commit ourselves to a lifestyle that's reflective of someone who knows and associates with Jesus Christ? And the first thing he shows us is in verse 21. It says there, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And I'll get to the first half of that verse in the, in the next step, but what we are told there to do is receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted or the engrafted or the transplanted word. Here's the first thing he's telling us to do. Make the word, make God's truth, make the Bible part of who you are. When you transplant a flower or a vegetable into your garden, you are taking something that has a life and putting it into the life of another uh, entity that has life, and now they have a shared life. The word of God is supposed to come into your life like that. It's not supposed to be some kind of extra piece of your life. It's supposed to be part of your life. And James is saying, receive the word in such a way that it's like a transplanted plant going into a garden where the life is shared, where they're interactive now, and they're one. And the word of God is supposed to be a frame of reference in our soul that we live out. It's a belief. And actions follow beliefs. And he says something here super important. Receive the word with meekness. What does it mean to be meek? We think of like Burgess Meredith, the librarian in the Twilight Zone, if you've seen it, where everybody in the world's gone and he's this meek, mild, milly-mouthed little guy who can read all the books in the world and he's looking at books and he's saying Dickens and Shelley and all these great authors that he wants to read and he, can't, he won't be interrupted again and then he steps on his glasses and he's the saddest guy that ever lived. And that's how we think of meekness. In, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in America, we think of meekness as weakness, but that's not what it is. Meekness is power under control. Any person who's confronted with truth has the ability to reject it or receive it, to deny it or cooperate with it. Anybody in the room, whether you know Jesus Christ or not, and what, Paul, what James is saying here is receive it with meekness. If you have children and you ever wrestled with children, you know what meekness is. When the twins, I have five boys, the last two are twins, they're 21 now, but when they were like three and four, we used to wrestle, and they discovered this thing they would do. And uh, it was a lot of fun until it wasn't. So <laughs> what it was was we'd wrestle on the ground and then I'd be laying on my stomach. Next thing you know, they're climbing on the couch, on the arm of the couch, I, it, it was like this high, and I'm on the floor, and they would jump as high as they can and go knees first into my back, laughing their heads off, and rotate through the, yeah, boom, oh, this is so fun, boom, and like, you know, I'm, I'm in ag, I got back pain today, is that why, maybe? Until I decided we would wrestle, and then I'd take them, you know, and I'd get them, and I'd, you know, kind of win you know, for the sake of my well-being. Um, 
That's meekness. And if you've ever played anything with a kid where you had to go down to their level for it to be enjoyable or fun for either of you, you submitted yourself to the opportunity to interact. And that's what we're called to do with the Word of God. We have to submit ourselves with an open mind that interacts. Is it okay to, ha- to be curious? Yes. Is it okay to be doubtful? Yeah, doubt. Every, any human that says, even a believer, that says they never doubt is, I don't think they're telling you the truth. We all doubt at some point. Is it okay to be skeptical? Yes. What I would say is not okay if you have a genuine interest in hearing from God whether you're a believer or not, if you have a genuine interest, you cannot be stubborn because stubborn is the opposite of meek. You have to have an open heart, an open mind, a responsive heart, a responsive mind to receive the word and ultimately do what it says. Make the word a part of who you are. Hear the truth with the intent of responding to it. In Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and in doing so, it'll infect how you speak to other people and interact with other people. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it be part of your life. But the word comes into your life, it says here in verse 23, using the illustration of a mirror. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. It's not the only place in scripture the Bible's called a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. That's hilarious, right? Would you look at a mirror and forget what you're like? Well, you might. You might look at the mirror and see your button out of place, and just walk away and forget about it. I don't think you would. I never have. Right? You go, maybe you haven't matched, you know, you put plaids with polka dots and stuff, and your wife catches you, and she's like, can't do that. But we look, and you look at a mirror for two things, to admire or assess. Most of us, are spending the majority of our time assessing what's wrong. Oh no, I put that right side eye mascara too long. I gotta fix it, I gotta match him or whatever it is. And you spend all that time assessing and then at the end you look and you go, okay, everything's right and you leave. You wouldn't look at a shirt buttoned wrong and go, right on, let's go. But we do that spiritually. By the way, think about, you don't have to answer me, but think about when was the last time, when was the last day you did not look at a mirror? We do it every day. Every single day. And how important is the spiritual need to look into the mirror of God's word compared to the physical need to look in a mirror? And it says here in this passage, in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Circle that word. Because here's what he's saying. Just like, you know, I've been looking in a mirror, assessing myself, and trying to go out the door looking like a decent human being since I was about five years old. 
up till then, my mom helped me. I got a lot of help, right? And then at a certain point, five, six, you know, I could do it. So let's just say 50 years. Every day, except for a few days I might have been camping, every day I look in a mirror and assess myself. And really, look, here, here's this physical... Thank you, everybody, who told me, please button your shirt, Jim. You're so messed up. I hid out in the office, so I didn't hear it from too many people, but thank you. We got to do the same thing spiritually, and it's so much more important. But the word persevere is so important. 50 years of looking in the mirror, and I'm 55 years old, and I don't go, man, I'm so tired of looking in the mirror. This is so hard. I do it every day, you do it every day, and we need to do the same thing spiritually, and it takes perseverance, it takes doing it every day, it takes responding and correcting and growing, and we look in the mirror of God's word and we say, like he says at the beginning, don't be angry, and we say, well man, like me, when I got saved, anger problem. Bruce used to call me, Jim, my life is a competition game, because everything was a competition, and I would fight to win, and if I lost, I was mad about it. And I'm talking about just normal, everyday conversations, or throwing my wad of paper in the trash can, and all kinds of other things. And you could have called me angry, and you would have been right. And I come to God's word, and I go in a process. I have to persevere. I have to catch myself being angry, because I know the word of God says, uh, be angry and do not sin. And I have to be in a, but it, it, it takes perseverance. And I feel like we go to the Word sometimes and we think that those corrections are judgment. But a word like persevere shows me, and so does the word sanctification, which means being in the process of holiness. They show me that God is patient. That we're his workmanship and that it's ongoing. When you know Jesus Christ and you are confronted with a truth in the scripture that says don't do that and you stumble and fall and do it, God isn't waiting to shoot lightning out of his fingers at you. He's saying you failed, you, you have flaws, get up, let's, let's go, let's try again, let's go. And the word persevere is in there because we are gonna have to look in the mirror every day. And there will be something to fix every day. And sometimes it's the same thing, but persevere in it. Don't be like I might be if I looked at, and what if I, what if I didn't button my shirt after seeing it in a mirror every day? We're gonna see in the mirror the need to be patient, to be forgiving, to be faithful, to sacrifice, to serve, and a whole litany of things that is beyond our human capabilities that God comes into our life when we get saved in a supernatural way, calls us to better things, and helps us in the process of overcoming those failures and flaws and being the men and women he's called us to be. But for us to be able to do that, we have to look in the mirror of his word, make it part of our lives, endure have a lifestyle, and then do the word. Do is synonymous with obey. We gotta obey the commands. You hear, you do, you practice, you make it a habit. 
It's a process, but you, you want to work it into your life. Do you remember when you tied, you learned to tie your shoes? Man, I remember. It was like, I just so had to think so hard and try and fail and try and fail. And then I'm, oh, I got it. And now I can tie my shoes, chew gum, write a text, and answer a phone call all at the same time without even thinking about it. Same with you. What if you never tried to tie your shoe? Can't do it. You wouldn't know how. You'd be like, you know, you're 32. You can't tie your shoe. Why? You never tried. You have to do the things we're called to do. You learn to tie your shoes. We got a new car for Tomoko back in uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Great deal, by the way. Nobody was there. It's a lot of fun. So we had a Honda Odyssey. It's a minivan, right? Thing blows up, basically. So she needs a new car. And uh, we got a 2017 Kia Sedona, which is another uh, minivan. And uh, for the last six months, all I've done is read the manual. And I've never driven the car, and I don't know how. But I've read the manual for six months. Wouldn't that be weird? I didn't do that. But that'd be weird. There's a few things in the manual I had to read. But I mean, the car's laid out almost exactly like the Odyssey. Some of the things are different. But one thing was immediately different, and I had to learn. And I couldn't have learned it without doing. The Odyssey key went in an angle about here, and the Kia key goes in an angle about here. So out of habit, I was putting in the key in the wrong angle for the first several times, maybe even, you know, I don't know, five, six weeks, I don't know. Didn't measure it. But just putting it in, and it's not working. Drove the car yesterday, I put it, boom, no problem, no little stutter because I missed. How I did it. I did it several times before it was part of me. Now it's part of me. I don't look at the clicker. I know where the buttons are. It's got an up, up, up top console here that controls lights and the automatic doors for the back. And for the first few times I went to go do those doors, I'm turning the lights off and on because they're opposite of an Odyssey. In the Odyssey, the buttons are on the front side and the Kia to open the doors are on the back side. And so, what's going on? Why isn't the door working? Now it's, I know now. I push the backside buttons, not the front side. You have to do to make things part of your life. You want to learn a new sport? Maybe you want to learn basketball. And you want to progress. You want to learn. You want, you're, you're at a certain point and it's not real proficient. You don't feel like you can play basketball with the boys on Wednesday or Saturday night in an open gym. But you want to get there, and so you get some help. And the first time you shoot around, you can barely touch the rim. And in a couple weeks, you're sinking it from 10 feet, 15 feet. You're not a three-point expert yet, but you can hit those shot. You know how to do a layup. You know what that feels like? Progress. <laughs> says Dennis. Says Dennis. How tall are you? Yeah. Says Dennis, who's not a basketball player, nor is he at basketball height. But yeah. See, I go back to Key. Whether it's basketball or being a mechanic, progress is fun. 
And what this passage says to us in verse 25 is, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In basketball or any other endeavor, if you start at a certain place and you progress and grow, the more you do it, the more you progress, the more blessed you are in that endeavor. And what James is telling us here is that the more we hear and do God's word, to hear alone isn't blessed. In fact, he says to hear alone is to deceive yourself. But to hear and do, you're blessed. In what way the Bible, there's a few ways that I found there's more but there's some ways I found that you're blessed when you hear and obey the commands of Jesus Christ. In John 14, 23, it tells us that when you hear and obey, you'll have a real and personal interaction with God, the Father, and with Jesus Christ. Listen to the verse. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. When you hear and obey your love relationship with Jesus Christ grows because you're around him in the hearing and the obeying. You're becoming like him. You'll have confidence and assurance, God's word tells us in 1 John. You'll have confidence and assurance. You're given that by the Spirit. You're given that by looking at your own life. You have confidence and assurance. You are in God's family. And number three, you'll show those in your world the light of Jesus' love and forgiveness. When you hear and do, you become salt and light in the world. You glorify God in the world. You shine as lights in a perverse generation, is what Paul said in Philippians 2. And this is the habit, this is the lifestyle James is calling us to, and it's the lifestyle that Jesus lived out. He heard from the Father, and he obeyed him. It was his lifestyle. He never failed at it, because he was perfect. God the Father says, go to earth, be born as a human. Jesus left heaven and was born as a human. God says, live 33 days there, 33 years there rather. And Jesus lived a perfect life out of the kingdom on earth. I liken it in my thinking as like you cared so much about the ant population that you lowered yourself to an ant. You became an ant and you lived with them for 33 years. The father told him, command your followers to share your life and your message with the world. And Jesus led his followers to do that. The father says, die for the sins of the world on a cross. And Jesus, though he didn't rush to the cross, he prayed, if it's possible, let this pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus obeyed the father and went to the cross. And much like James' world, we're living in a bad news world. I asked some friends, I sent a text out and asked a few different friends, what's bad news you've heard this week? And they confirmed that we live in, in a world with an angry, divisive government, with unstable and unpredictable culture, where a world where religious confusion abounds, and they saw things like, we're headed for a recession. 
an abortion was performed in Korea on the wrong woman. Not that we endorse abortion at all, but how much more worse in that case. And what's interesting about that, the whole world acknowledged it as being bad. There's a homeless epidemic that has no end in sight. There's another severe hurricane headed for Florida. And we live in a bad news world, and God's calling us to be good news people in that bad news world. And there is good news. In Christ, there are good news. We are to be sharing that news out of our lives, out of our mouths. Like FCA, to hear those kids today, it's just amazing to me as one who was a youth pastor, who just loves student ministries, who's been around FCA, and you know, um, we support them as a church. Uh, they value your support uh, personally today, but we support them as a church. We believe in this ministry in a big way. They are partner- we consider them partners in the community. And that was just awesome, hearing those kids stand up here. That You guys know you got presidents of FCA on Huntington Beach High School public campus from your church. Yeah. And just so you know, FCA has a committee. Uh, Nolan's here. He's over here. You can meet him over at the table on the way out. Um, he's, he's our area rep. He's phenomenal. And uh, their area rep means he's Hines Beach. And there's FCA at Edison. Uh, they're working on putting FCA on campuses that don't have it. Uh, you guys, it, it's just it's a phenomenal ministry. So it's good news to hear that. I was at Restoration on Thursday night. That was more good news. They had a birthday party where they celebrate people overcoming their hurts, hangups, and habits. And I heard from people who might say it different, but they were basically saying, my life was a mess. It wasn't right. And I encountered Jesus Christ, and he put it right. And the things that used to hold me back, I'm free from. And that was good news. Yesterday, fronted by a bunch of our ladies from Women's Bible Study, we went and served at a house, and they've been serving there for weeks and weeks, of a a family in our church, uh, a widow and her adult daughter. They're both handicapped, and they were given notice that they were going to have to leave their house if they couldn't clean it up good enough for it to be, uh, have new carpet and new paint. And people showed up to do service in a way that Scale of 1 to 10 was an 11, and it's been going on. They're going to keep helping this family. They can't help themselves. It's a fulfillment of verse 27 there, and it's beautiful. Had a single mom come to me. She's needy. She needed breaks done. Some guys gathered some money, got her some money to get her breaks done, and a mechanic in our church said he would do the work for her for free. That's good news. There's a lady. She's sick. She's in the hospital. And she has all kinds of options, but instead of being woe is me and self-centered and just grieving over the fact of where she's at, her neighbor in her room asks, hey, they start talking about faith, and she asks if she could pray for her. She not only prayed for her, she and some friends, I don't know how long the friends stayed, but she ended up sharing Christ with this lady till three in the morning. That's good news. And we need to share that good news. We need to proclaim that good news. We need to be a people living according to that good news, talking about it all the time. We are here to live out and share the good news where God said he loved this messy, angry, confused, hopeless, rebellious, sinful world. 
He loves this world. He loves you. You're in this world. If you don't know him today, he loves you exactly how you are. Confused, skeptical, messed up, addicted, hurt, wounded, afraid. He loves you. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not be separated relationally from the love of God. That's what happens when you die. When you die, you're separated relationally from the love of anybody. And we feel that when we go to a memorial. We miss the person. That they would not perish, that they would not be separated relationally from God now or for eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's such a magnificently huge concept, but such a simple response is required. Just believe. You've heard the Bible talk about being saved. People will talk about being saved. It's a perfectly chosen word. It's not by mistake. It shows us a picture that we all could imagine. You're in a raging sea and the waves and the wind are blowing and you're in it. You've fallen overboard and you're calling for rescue. Help, help, I'm drowning. And out of the fog comes a hand to pull you up out of certain death. You're saved. And in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our flaws, in the midst of us being different than what God called us to be, in the middle of being different than what God created us to be, he reaches out and he saves. We're not in an ocean of water, we're in an ocean of being less than what he's called us to be. The Bible calls that sin. And he will pull you out of it. He will remove your sin. He will renew your life. He will make you different and he will rescue you from a certain hell and deliver you into an eternity in heaven. And this is the good news we as people, we as a church, want to share with those who don't know Jesus Christ. And that huge concept, again, is huge, it's magnificent, it seems complicated, but the response is so simple. In Romans 10, it says, whoever calls on, again, whoever, doesn't qualify it, get yourself right, work harder, give more money, go to church more. Wherever you are at in your brokenness, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. And you could do that right now from your seat if you prayed. A simple prayer that goes like this. Jesus, I need your salvation. I can't pull myself out of my own sin, and I can't pull myself out of this world, and I can't pull myself into heaven on my own. I need you. And anything that follows that kind of idea. I can't, you can. Help me. Is calling on the name of the Lord. 
So I want to invite everybody to, to bow your heads, close your eyes. And... If you don't know Jesus Christ, man, our, our prayer, we've been praying for you. Even if we don't know you by name, we've been praying for you. We've been praying that you would find Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would say, save me, God. If that's you, I want to pray with you in a minute. But before we do that, if you know Jesus Christ, I'm just wondering if you would take a minute to pray a commitment that says, God, I want my Christianity to be a lifestyle, not an event. I want to be word-saturated. I want to be a practicer, not a hearer. And for those of you that don't know him, if you wanted to call on him right now, you could just pray after me and say, Dear God, I know the broken parts of me, my sin, cut me off from you. Please forgive me. Make me new. I want to be with you forever. Amen.